0: So let me just pick it up at verse 9, Ecclesiastes 3. This is the reading of God's word. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, so that... Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. First verse again. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments that we have to say time out to work, time out to school, time out to recreation, to say, speak, Father. And as we gather in this room as your children, we acknowledge that today we need you. We need guidance. We need direction. We need your voice in our ears. I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide guide and govern this entire time together. And wherever people are, whether they're watching online or on television or here in this place, Lord, I pray we will see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Take out your bulletins, if you will. They are in. They were handed to you on the way in this morning. And uh, if you are watching online, there's a tab. There's a, a notes tab right there. So if you click that, that will be available for you to take notes as well. Because in these bulletins is the note page. We love to encourage note taking at Waters Church. Believe that it helps get the message into your heart and into your mind. Well, my name is. Tim and if you're here for the first time it's our prayer that it is not the last time but that you come on back and make Waters Church your home and everybody who comes regularly said amen Amen. welcome again also those online we're so glad that you are joining with us and those watching on television come and see us we'll make you feel right at home um Last week, we ended our campaign, Bring a Friend Weekend. You guys did a fantastic job, by the way, fantastic. I saw so many people I did not see before. And if you're back again for round two, we're so glad that you came back, and uh, we want you to keep coming back because it's not a destination, it's a journey, amen? One step at a time, one week at a time with Jesus. He loves you as you are, but because he loves you he, refuses you, he refuses to leave you the way you are. And so we're all in this journey together. We're so glad that you came back if you came back for the second time this week. But last week, because you invited so many people, 55 people across our campuses and our experiences, 55 people received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord last weekend. That is an awesome number. That is an awesome number. <laughs> Come on, we'll change America if we keep those numbers going. Come on, somebody. Are you awake for service? Because I need, I need more feedback than that. I am very insecure. I am very insecure. Okay. Um, <laughs> so 55 people. Now, we do that campaign, uh, Bring Your Own Buddy uh, campaign, not to just say, okay, you did it, now forget it, but to get you in the habit of inviting people. So I invited more people this past week than I did all during the campaign. It just happened that way. It's not like I planned it or tried it, but just sometimes you have a good week where you can get some invitations, and sometimes you can't. But it's so important that we continue to have this lifestyle of come and see um, evangelism, come and see uh, sharing your faith. It's not forcing it on anybody, and it's not debating anybody. It's just inviting somebody, and you never know what an invitation will do. Amen. Okay, so week two, the emptiness experiment, and, and here's the title of the message, When Life is for the Birds. <laughs> yeah, everybody over 40 is getting that joke. <laughs> like, millennials are like, yeah, so, what? Okay, so the birds were a band. And they sang a very famous song. We just sang it here, Turn, 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 literally word for word from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, originally, the song, those words were set to music not by the birds but by who? Does anybody know? Pete Seeger. So Pete Seeger put them to words. Then the birds made a song and put it on their album. Actually, rose, I think, to number one on the Billboard charts in its day and uh, is still playing on the radio um, to this day. But I just thought about the fact that it's literally word for word, and I thought, you know, there's a whole lot of laws out there about copyright. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, where, when do we give God, you know, royalties? Come on, somebody. Like, <laughs> But it is is a beautiful song because they are beautiful words. They resonate with us. And Solomon has been writing this book. He writes this book. We talked about this last week at the uh at the, at the end of his life, and the sun is kind of setting on him, in his first years he writes Song of Solomon, this romantic and somewhat, actually not somewhat, very erotic love poem to his beloved in his younger days. He then has kids and he writes proverbs uh, to his son in his middle age years, and then he gets to the end of his life and he looks back and he says, well, what, what's it all for? What's it all about? And that's where you're going to get at some point. If you haven't gotten there already, we'll take copious notes during this series because I guarantee you will get there. You will get there. You will get to the point where you think, you know, what is my life really for? You know, just thinking about my my own existence and I was thinking yesterday I was on Twitter and I was scrolling through my feed and there was somebody on Twitter. Sometimes I'm amazed at what people put on, on Twitter, like with their personal issues, and there was this guy, and I, I don't even know. I don't follow him. Somebody else that I follow follows him. And I saw it, in his, Twitter, his, his, his update or his status was, my life is a sham. I moved to L.A. trying to follow my dreams. My wife has lost everything that's precious to her. I don't know why I'm here. What is the point of my existence? And I was just, like, shocked. I was like, first off, I don't know if Twitter is the vehicle through which you want to explore that. I don't, I don't know if you want to put that in front of everybody to chime in on. Because I don't think you're going to get the great answers back. Just, just my opinion. And so I think, though, that the guy kind of encapsulates life. At some point, you're going to get to that moment that you just ask yourself, why? why? What is it for? And so we talked about this last week, that without God, life is empty. And, and when, you, when you put the big rock in first, the big rock being Jesus, when he's first, the other things of your life center around him, revolve around him. And I talk about and I think about this that some of us have to have a a Copernican revolution in our lives a Copernican revolution was a Copernican revolution well Copernicus was the first guy to come along and say hey the earth is not the center of the universe the earth is not the center of our solar system it's actually the sun and the earth revolves around the sun and so the Copernican the Copernican revolution is when you realize that you're not the center of the universe when you realize that you're not the be-all, end-all. And life is not really all about you. And you actually are created to revolve around Jesus. Amen. You see, it's, in a, it's a beautiful place to be when God is the center and the foundation of your life. That's what God wants for you. Even the way He structured the solar system is testifying to how we should live. Beautiful. So, Without God, life is, last week, what? Empty. Thank you for answering so confidently. (laughs) But I was thinking about, like, just saying God is in my life. Well, there's a lot of people who aren't even Christians who say that. So we're not going to just talk about God in the general sense. I don't want to say, God, like, this general vague idea of a higher power A lot of people believe in a higher power, but they don't believe in the scriptures and the God of the Bible as it is revealed, as he is revealed. And so what is precious about your scriptures, what is precious about this book, is that this book is the collection of books written by sages, wise men, prophets, leaders, poets, kings, and paupers over 1500 years of history in human history pointing to one being being over all and above all, and yet choosing to reveal himself to us. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about God becoming flesh and leading us back to him. And so the Bible does not give us the opportunity to have this vague belief in God, this enigmatic, ethereal perspective. There are specifics so I thought, let's continue the series by not just saying, well, with God, life is full, but let's answer this question. What aspects of God make life full? What aspects, what about God makes my life full? And I thought, here's the answer, number one, that Solomon's going to give us is the sovereignty of God. This is, there's no place to fill this in your notes. Just stay with me for a moment. The sovereignty of God. Somebody say sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is absolutely above all and in control. That there is nothing in your life that does not happen without him being in charge of it. Now, understand, it does not mean that God necessarily makes everything happen in your life. It actually doesn't mean that at all. It means that God is over it. He sees From heaven, even in this passage, we're going to see right off the bat that Solomon gets to that very quickly. Because in verse 1, he says, for everything, there's a season, a time for every matter, what? Under heaven. So God has this perspective, and God is over your life from beginning to end. In fact, even from before where you thought you began. Because the scripture talks about the fact that before we were in the womb, God knew us. Before you were, there's this great debate pro life, pro choice. Well, does life begin at breath and does life begin at conception? No, life begins before conception. God sees you before you're conceived. Amen. There's no such thing, listen, as an illegitimate child. There's plenty of illegitimate parents, but not a single person is an accident. Not a single person is a mistake. Not a single human being is a secondary thought. You are precious to God. And so what you have to understand is there is something about this God that that is wonderfully comforting. He makes our, our lives full because he's sovereign over the events that we experience. And then for the next seven verses of Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon takes us on what I call the the ride of extremes, exploring the spectrum of extremes. He begins with birth and death. He ends with war and peace. In the middle, love and what? Hate. Gathering stones, casting away. With that, what does that mean? That's a youth, it's a Hebrew euphemism for friendship. In other words, he's saying there's a time where you're going to make new friends, and then there's going to be a time where you're going to have to say goodbye to friends. And keeping and gathering and sowing and tearing and healing and even killing. And if you look at the text, as I did, you realize that half the list, there's 14 corollaries. There's 14 sets of opposite extremes, 14 sets, double the number seven. So there's something to it there. And what Solomon is saying is that this is what our lives look like. Um, On one side of the extremes is things that we love. Like love, like peace, like birth. Love these things. But then on the other side of the spectrum are the things that we absolutely don't love. We hate these things, like hate. And war and killing. Who likes those things? Psychos like those things. Right? Right? And so here's, here's what he's saying. Like life is going to fill you with a lot of things from extreme to extreme. And, and the other things you need to understand is why are there extremes and why are they set against each other? Because these are merisms. These are merisms. The theological word for these is merisms. That's what you go to seminary for, to learn a word that nobody cares about. There you go. Um, what it means is that everything on one side of an extreme and everything on the other side of the extreme are intended to refer to everything in between. So what he's saying is there's a season and a reason for everything in your life. But here's what you have to understand is that sometimes you're gonna be you're gonna be over here where you're loving life and things are going well and everything is good and the roses are blooming and the birds are singing and the sun is shining and life is good and you feel good, but then there's gonna be moments where you're gonna be downcast, where the, the 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 bloom is off the rose, where you see the clouds starting to form over the horizon, where the rains start to fall, or in New England, heaven forbid, the blizzard starts to come, and you just feel miserable and you don't want to get out of bed and there's going to be moments like that. And so point number one in your notes is this, is that we live, this is what Psalm is trying to say, we live between the wows and the whys of life. The wows and the whys of life. The wows are over here, the good days. You ever have a wow day? You know, birth is like a wow thing. I remember still to this day, 19 years ago, when I came home from work in our little apartment in Medfield, Massachusetts, newly married couple, just married two months, and my darling wife Cheryl had left the positive pregnancy test thing on the coffee table. And I got home and I said, well, that happened quick. <laughs> That's what happens when you save yourself for marriage right there. That's what happens, you get busy. So I just like, looked at it, and I, just, I remember this day. I just sat down, and I looked at it, and I stared at it. I still remember where I was seated. And what I thought, the first thought that came to my mind was, wow, life's going to be different now. Amen. And it's a beautiful, wow, she's, she's 18 years old. I'm taking her to see, we're taking her to see her second college next week. Just, yeah, wow, like, wow. <laughs> and I think about how fast it went. And I don't regret it. I thank God for it, right? What was your latest wow? I, I remember the first time that I actually really preached. Like, I always wanted to be a preacher, but the first couple of times I preached, people were like, <laughs> have you ever thought about engineering or? So then, like, finally, I actually knew, you know, I was like, "In here's how it was. Listen, young people, it was in here, but I couldn't get it out here. Yeah, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and a, it was a, finally that one moment where God met me, and I just came out, and I was like, "That's yes." And I remember when my mother, my mother came home. I was 17 years old, and my mother came home, and she said, "Tim, wow! Like you really pre- you actually preached this time." <laughs> Thanks, ma. You know, but that wow moment. like, Yeah, this could actually be what I do. Or or the wow moment of being married. Or the the wow moment of seeing your your future spouse for the first time. Do you remember that moment? And then if we're honest, life doesn't stay wow. It'll bring us over to the whys. Why did the marriage end? What could we have done better? Why am I not married? Why am I not with somebody? Why did they have to die? The wise. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a pastor that brings me to the extremes. I'm on a regular guided tour of the wows and the whys of your lives. I'm at the altar when people lovingly stare into each other's eyes and actually believe that the person they are looking at will never let them down. And I'm there reciting the vows with them. So full of hope, so full of promise, so full of wow. But then I've also been to the bedside of the person crossing the threshold of death. I've prayed with people on their deathbeds to receive Jesus. I've watched as a physical human body goes from pinkish, peachy hue to ashen gray. And the heart stops and the breath stops. I've been there. And, and I've always had this thought about that moment, like when I see that happen. I say to myself, now they know. Like, it, they, they could have no education. They could be the, the most foolish person in, in human history. But the moment that happens, now they know. And I've been there when wives have had to say goodbye to fathers of young children. And parents have had to say goodbye to their, their drug-overdosed child. And people are filled with wise. Life will give you wows. Life will give you wise. And 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 Solomon is, is probably is just trying to say, look, don't get too high on the wows, and don't get too low on the wise, because you're gonna live a lot of these things, and there's a there's a time and there's a season for them. And if you're not careful, you will slip into depression. Because here's what I notice is that we spend a heck of a lot more time concentrating on the wise than celebrating the wows? How many know that you can begin your day with a wow and end it with a why? How many know you can begin your church experience with a wow and end it with a why? Hopefully that's not what happens at Waters Church. but. <laughs> How many know you can begin your marriage with a wow and end it with a why? You can begin your parenting with a wow and then end up with nothing but whys. And you can live your life on this extreme bounce back. Like God wants to bring you to the good things. He wants to bring you to the things that give you joy and peace and hope. But if you don't have him in your life, you're going to be negatively, gravitationally pulled into the whys of your life continually. And this is what Solomon is saying in chapter 3. He's bouncing back, by the way. He keeps going over the sun and under the sun. We talked about this. Ecclesiastes is hard to read because at one moment he's over the sun, and at other moments he's under the sun. Over the sun, life with God. Under the sun, life without God in the mix. And he spends a considerable time in chapters 3 and 4 exploring the wise under the sun. Verse 16, look, moreover I saw what? Under the sun. What did he see? He saw in the place of justice there was wickedness, in the place of righteousness there was wickedness. Is this not one of our cultural conversations right now? Where's the justice? Now There's a lot of talk this week about Amber Geiger. She got 10 years in prison. An off-duty police officer who was cheating on her husband. Cheating, I'm sorry, in an affair with a married man. Sorry, she wasn't married. In an affair with a married man and she was on the telephone... With this man she was having an affair with, after a 13 and a half hour shift, distracted by whatever was going on on the phone, she went to the wrong level of her apartment building, walked into the wrong building, walked into the wrong apartment, and saw a black man sitting on a couch and assumed he was an intruder and shot him dead. And the judgment came down 10 years. Justice in the place of wickedness, but even now there's conversations. Was it long enough? Was it righteous? Where's the righteous? Where's the justice? This is the conversation we are having right now. Now. And then he goes on in verse 18, he said, I said in my heart with regard to the children of men that God is testing them to see that they, are so, they themselves are but beasts. If you've got your notes out, underline they themselves. Understand what Solomon is saying. He's not saying that we are beasts, he's saying that we to ourselves are just like animals. If God is not in the mix, we become animalistic. If God is not in the mix, we become crazy. G.K. Chesterton famously said, you'll hear me say this all the time, if men do not believe in God, they do not believe in nothing, they believe in anything. When we don't have God in our lives, we become just like the animals. And you look at the news, and it just takes you a few moments to scroll up in your Facebook feed to say, why are people like that? Why are they so nasty? Why Why is there such vitriol for people who vote differently than us? You know what I'm saying? It's like this is what we do, though, when we take God out of the mix. We lose all equilibrium, spiritual, emotional equilibrium. We just go crazy. And this is exactly what Solomon is saying. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, they had no one to comfort them. It is estimated that approximately 6.3 million children under the years of Fifteen years of age die every five seconds in our world from preventable causes. You live long enough, you're going to start being gravitationally pulled into the wise and away from the wows. This is the world we live in. There's oppression. And then he says there's people that are in power and they don't comfort. No, what do they do? They exploit. This is not the conversation our country is having this week. You've heard a country named this week probably more than ever before in your life, the country of Ukraine. And the big question is, was federal aid withhold for the political advancement of Donald Trump's cause? That's the question, but that's not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is, why do we give them aid only to take it back by selling that country, which is the second poorest country in Europe, our weapons? This is what we've been doing for decades. I'm not talking about who's in the office now in the White House now. I'm talking about for the past 5 presidencies this is what we've been doing with our tax money giving it to Ukraine so that Ukraine can buy weapons back from us. That's oppressive. That's exploitation. That's not right. At some point in the, your life, at some point in your existence, you're going to be gravitationally pulled to the wise of life. And if you're not careful, you'll live there. And if you're not even more careful, you'll get to the point where you don't want to live anymore. Like this is what he says in verse 2. Under the sun, living. Under the sun, living. God out of the mix. Verse 2 he says, I thought about the dead who are already dead. They are more fortunate than the living who are alive, but better is he who has not yet even been. Gosh, I wonder who this week said, I wish I had never been born. I mean, in this room. Like, I wonder who this week said, I don't even know why I exist. I've a big mistake. And you made a huge decision in the positive direction to come to church today. We wanna tell you you're not a mistake. We wanna tell you the reason why you feel that way is because you're living too much under the sun. And living under the sun is gonna give you this perspective that really life does not have a purpose. Life has no meaning. But if you get over the sun, and you understand who made the sun, and you know that he didn't just make the sun, he made you, you'll find life, you'll find peace, you'll find joy, you'll find purpose. This is, this is what Solomon is asking us to do. And so when you read Ecclesiastes, there's a whole lot of stuff you're going to have to, like, muddle through. But here's what I love about it, because Ecclesiastes is a book that is filled with questions. In fact, it's got more questions than answers, and I I love that about this book. It's in the Bible. Some, some people think, oh, you Christians, you're just people who are just so, you're escapists, you're, you, you live in dreamland, you, you don't really wrestle with reality. No, we do. Even our own holy scriptures wrestle with the problems of reality. We're asking questions with Solomon today, are we not? We're not, we're not pie-in-the-sky people who don't let the world's troubles be unaffected to us. No, we have real lives and real hearts and real feelings just like you. But the good news is we've come to know someone who's in charge of it all. And, and, and the issue is not that we always pray and our answers always come back to us positively. No, here's the blessing of knowing who's over the sun. At least we have someone to argue with. Least there's someone listening when we're complaining. And he's not up there saying, how dare you? He's up there saying, exactly. And this is why my son bore those sins on the cross. Because we do not serve a God who's distant and disconnected. We serve a God who came and inhabited our world and slept with us and lived with us and ate with us and walked with us and suffered with us and died for us. There is nothing you will ever feel in your life that the God in heaven is not already intimately familiar with himself. It's the beauty of the incarnation. But the gravitational pull brings us to the wise, and so Solomon gets to verse 9 of chapter 3, and he says, what is it all for? That's the question, really. is literally what gain is the worker from his toil, but he's saying, what's it all for? Why am I doing this? Life under the sun. Point number two. With God, there's a season for it. So he brings us over the sun. He gives us a glimpse and he says, Listen, this is how you got to see it. This is how you got to see whatever you're in right now. There's a season. It's a season. Somebody say season for me. Now, we in New England, Understand seasons, amen, somebody. We are currently in autumn part two, right? Autumn part two comes right after summer part three. Summer part three comes after autumn part one, which is right after summer part two, which contains a why do I live here part summer, right? That two days in July that are rainy and 65 degrees and you're wondering what the heck am I doing here, right? And we're on our way to winter part one, which should be here by the end of the service. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Here's the thing about us. Here's the thing about New Englanders. We understand seasons. And what gets us through the winters is the prospect of spring. We know it's not going to last. When there's three feet on the ground of snow, right, we think, yeah, is it really going to happen? But it does. Every year? Every year, spring shows up right on time on July 1st. Amen, <laughs> hey, somebody. Come on, bitter New Englanders. <laughs> and and, and what, we, what we have to realize is the seasons are speaking to our spirits. It's a season. So you might be in the why right now. And God's word to you is don't freak out. It's a season. It's a, there's a season for the things that you go through, even the ones that you don't like. And, and you've got to understand it's not permanent. And so I remember the moment that I came home and I saw that positive pregnancy test on the coffee table. And then I also remember the season that immediately followed that. It was a horrible season. No sleep. No energy, no more date nights, no more lives, poopies. (laughs) Late night trips to the emergency room because they swallowed a dime, true story. I remember the, very, the, the third day we had Olivia home from the hospital after she was born. We, she came down with a mild case of jaundice. We were in the hospital in the emergency room. And I'll never forget, we walk in with the little baby, and there was a line of five people in front of us. And I remember this to this day. that All five people looked behind us and said, no, no, you go first, you go first. Like, they understood this is a tough season. Let them go. <laughs> no sleep, no time, no money. But pay off, baby. Payoff is coming when they have children and I can give them chocolate at 10 p.m. Amen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. He's coming back. Seasons. I want you to write this down. Embrace this moment as a season, not a station. You got to stay away from a station mentality because it's not a station. It's a season. Some of you are waiting to find the one. Well, you don't need to find the one. You need to find a one. But most importantly, you need to realize this is a season, not a station. Don't tell yourself, well, I'll never be married. Well, I'll never do that. Well, I'll never get that job. Some of you, you go out for three interviews, you get rejected by three interviews, and you think, I'll never get a job. That's station mentality. Wrong. This is seasons. This is a season. It's going to come to an end. The best part about a season is it ends. Of course, the wild wild seasons end too. And it's not permanent. This is not God saying to you, thus you shall be forevermore, and I am only happy that your dreams have finally failed you, right? That's never how it is with God. He brings us through. I remember one of the worst seasons of my life was my first job. My first job. I was physically and emotionally bullied at this job. I was the only outsider in a company that was all relatives, and they made me feel like an outsider every single time I stepped in the door. And I mean physically bullied, locked in closets, shoved into closets, and locked in there for hours while I was supposed to be working. And uh, mismanaged several times, and I remember going through it. And I'll never forget, this is the blessing of a father and mother who fear the Lord. And I came home one day from work, and I was just so depressed, hanging my head because of how they treat me. And I'll never forget, my father comes home, and this is a man who worked tireless 16-hour days every day of his life. And he saw me depressed at the kitchen table. He said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, they don't treat me right, Dad. They don't treat me right. And I'll never forget his kind and compassionate words. You know what he said to me? He said, Tim, grow up. (laughs) He didn't coddle me. He didn't protect me. He didn't get on the phone and call the boss and try to fight my battles. You know what he did? He let the season serve me well. And I'll tell you something, it was one of the best seasons. I look back on that, I would not trade it for anything in the world because it taught me how to get through life when nobody liked me. It's a very freeing season when you're hated. Do you know why? Because when everybody hates you, you don't have to worry about what they think about you anymore. Now you can finally become the person that God wants you to be regardless of what people think you should be. Some of you need to thank God for the gifts of those seasons. You need to thank God for the gift of the season of the person who's rejecting you. Thank you that you said no to me. Thank you that you rejected me. Thank you that you didn't give me the job. Because your no was a gift from God so that I could find the yes that was right for me. You need to lull, you need to tell yourself it's a season and it's not a station. But number two, there's a reason for it with God. Number three, I'm sorry. There's a reason for it with God. And this is what Solomon's gonna unpack for us so beautifully in verses 3 to 10. It's not just a season, there's a reason. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to men. And he's making everything what? Everything beautiful. Just underline everything beautiful in its time. So this season is making you something beautiful. So stop telling yourself you're ugly. Stop telling yourself you're, you're, you're not good enough. Stop telling yourself you're a loser. You Start telling yourself what the scripture says. You are being made more beautiful today. Even if I don't like it right now. Some of you are going through the deep cleansing work that hurts and scars and feels annoying on the flesh, but it's beautifying you. It's a a spiritual chemical peel from Jesus. (laughs) How do I know about these things? Because I'm married. (laughs) In the words of the great theologian, Christina Aguilera, after all you put me through, you'd think I'd despise you, but in the end, I want to thank you because you made me that much stronger. So three thoughts about this passage is he has made everything beautiful in his time, we already t- talked about that one. But number two, he has put eternity into men's hearts. He has put eternity into your heart. Here's what he means by that. He's he's saying, you know this is true. You just need somebody to remind you. You just need to come to church every week so that pastor can remind you that it's a season and not a station. Because I'll forget about this too if I don't get to the Word of God. I'll forget that it's a season and not a station if I don't get to the Word of God and I don't have somebody else telling me from the outside of me saying, don't worry, you will get through this. And you know it's true because inside he has planted eternity in your heart. He's put something inside of you that resonates with what I'm saying is true. So we already talked about Kanye West is born again. Kanye West is now running around the country holding church services. A couple weeks ago, Brad Pitt showed up. GQ magazine interviewed him. And he said, what do you think about that thing? He said, it's a beautiful experience. This is a man who was an avowed atheist just five years ago. In the GQ magazine, he says, "I I have to tell you the truth. My atheist years were just a sort of a rebellion. I'm not an atheist anymore. I'm coming back around to Belief. Now, he calls it spirituality, but I call that going from a negative 10 to a negative 9. Brad Pitt knows there's something. So do you, so do I. But it's not something, it's someone. He has made all things beautiful in his time. He has put eternity in your heart. You know there's an afterlife. You know it. Even the hardened atheists know this. They do. Ravi Zacharias talks about The story that uh, Stalin's daughter um, talks about his death on his deathbed, the last gesture that Stalin made, this, this disaster of a human being, this hateful communist dictator who murdered millions of people, introduced atheistic communism into the Russian nation. The last gesture of his life was to rise up from his deathbed and shake his fist toward heaven one final time and then expire. He knew. He knew there's a God. So do you, and so do I, and we need to know this is the reality of our existence, that it is not a station. It is a season, and God is still working in it and through it, but here's part three of that statement in verses 10 to 11. It says, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, this is the part of that verse that I hate, and you hate, Because it's saying, yes, you know there's something more, but you can't understand it all from beginning to end. We get a glimpse. And in the gospel, we get more than a glimpse. We get a friend. We get a friend who walks us through it and tells us, take the next step. Take the next step. You're not going to understand the whole picture. It's like an oriental rug. You ever see a real oriental rug? I'm not talking about the cheap ones at HomeGoods. I'm talking about the real ones. Like the $1,000 ones, like the $2,500 ones, where if you look on the top side, it's all decorative and beautiful. But if you flip it over, you'll see threads going everywhere and chaos and a mess. This is under the sun living. Life looks like a chaos. Life looks like a mess. Threads everywhere. Everything's shattered. Everything's torn. It doesn't look like it makes sense. But if you go to the other side of the rug, you see how all that chaos on the back side produces beauty on the top side. And your life is like that and this world is like that and God has taken all the chaos of under the sun living and he's trying to tie it all together and he's successfully weaving it all together to make something beautiful in the end of time. He's coming back again and all things will be made new. We will rejoice before him because he has done it. He's a master artisan. And so... Verse 12, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. That everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. And this is God's gift to man. he's back to happiness, isn't he? He's not not bipolar. He's going back over the sun. (laughs) And he's saying, when when you realize that there's a God over it all, in charge of it all, and bringing it all together and beautifying it all, and you don't have to worry about it all, You can get your joy back. You can get your joy back. Let me summarize the whole message in a sentence. God's sovereignty over the seasons and reasons of life is our joy, no matter the wow or the why. So after church today, if someone says, what was the sermon about? Just say that. God's sovereignty, in other words, that he is in charge and he is in control over the seasons and the reasons of my life, this gives me great joy, no matter the wow or the why. He's sovereign. He's in charge. Amy Carmichael was a 19th century missionary to the people of India. And she was a sickly little girl, but she felt God say, Go ye. She heard those two words from God, Go ye. And she left the comforts of Britain. She traveled to Japan and China, and she was a missionary for years. And she spent the last 55 years of her life in India, rescuing girls from sex trafficking in the Hindu temples. When she was a little girl, she was the only girl in her neighborhood with brown eyes. Everybody else had blue eyes, hazel eyes, or blue or green eyes. And she hated to be the outsider. And as a little girl, she went to church, and they would say, if you ask God, He'll answer. So she would go up to her bed at night, every night, and she would pray on her knees, and she would say, God, give me blue eyes, like all the other girls in the neighborhood. Give me blue eyes. Please give me blue eyes. She would wake up, and she would go straight to the mirror to see if God had answered her prayer, and alas, no. And her mother would talk about this, that every morning for many years in her life, she would hear wailing and crying from the bathroom as Amy Carmichael found out that God had said no to the request for blue eyes. So she traveled to India as a missionary. Eventually she would do this every day. She'd dress up in Hindu garb, wrap her face so that only her eyes could be seen. She would sneak into the temple and she would rescue girls who had been sex-trafficked as young as 8 and 12. And she would rescue them. And over the course of 55 years, Amy Carmichael, in the name of Jesus, rescued over a 1,000 girls from sex trafficking. One day she was getting dressed up and she was wrapping herself up in the Hindu garb so that only her eyes could see through it. And she looked in her mirror and she saw that she had brown eyes and she realized that all the other Indian women had brown eyes. And if God had ever answered that prayer to give her blue eyes, she never would have fit in with the culture to rescue all those girls. She found joy in the sovereignty of God, even when his sovereignty says no. So this week we were filled with the wives of Amy Geiger's murder of Botham Jean. And she was sentenced, and at the sentencing, Botham's younger brother, who was 17 at the time of the murder, Got up on the witness stand. You've probably heard about this already, but maybe you've seen part of it, but you didn't hear the whole story of it. And At sentencing, they let the victim's family speak, and so Brant Jean got up onto the witness stand and shocked the world. And this is what he said.
1: I just I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the thing, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone but. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's, I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please?
0: To embrace. It is a time for everything. And, Ladies and gentlemen, if we do not get in touch with who's over the Sun, the people under the Sun will never know peace.